0: You are listening to Community Supported Radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Friday, February 12th, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Joyce Miller will be back on Monday. Tonight, following regional weather and headlines, we'll listen in on a conversation that KVMR's Felton Pruitt had with singer-songwriter James McMurtry about what life is like for a musician during the current pandemic. We close with a commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. For their support, we'd like to thank Chan Family Optometry. Vision Care Team and Dr. Tiffany Chan provide general optometry services, testing, screening, and offering glasses, contacts, and LASIK, located on Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley. Information, chanfamilyoptometry.com, and Dignity Health Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, delivering cardiovascular care and wellness with a team of specialists dedicated to prevention education from diagnosis to treatment and rehabilitation. More information online at dignityhealth.org slash sierra nevada. Here are today's NPR news headlines.
1: Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial is winding down. Senators submitted questions to both sides today in response to a question about whether Trump knew his followers intended to storm the U.S. Capitol. Impeachment manager Stacey Plaskett pointed to the president's remarks leading up to his January 6th rally.
2: He had every reason to know that
3: they were armed, violent, and ready to actually fight. He knew who he was calling and the violence they were
1: capable of. But President Trump's lead attorney, Bruce Castor, repeatedly questioned the entire impeachment process. The only logical conclusion is that the purpose of this gathering is to embarrass the 45th president of the United States and in some way try to create an opportunity for senators to suggest that he should not be permitted to hold office in the future. The Senate reconvenes tomorrow. A vote on whether to convict or acquit Trump could come this weekend. The Census Bureau says it will not be delivering data that is used to redraw state and local legislative districts until the end of September. That announcement likely to cause headaches for state lawmakers and redistricting committees who face deadlines to redraw districts this year. The announcement from the statistical agency comes as a group of U.S. senators have introduced legislation that would extend the deadline for turning in redistricting data. senior U.S. Census Bureau official had previously said the redistricting info would be available perhaps by the end of July. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta says multiple mitigation strategies are key to schools reopening safely. Member Station WABE in Atlanta, Sam Whitehead, reports the agency has released new guidelines for in-person
0: learning. Universal masking, physical distancing, good hand hygiene, regular cleaning, and contact tracing. All mitigation strategies provide some level of protection, but when implemented together or layered they provide the greatest level of protection. Dr. Rochelle Walensky leads the agency. The CDC's guidance says vaccinating teachers and school staff can provide an additional layer of mitigation, but isn't required for schools to return to in-person learning. Walensky stressed the CDC is not mandating schools reopen or that schools that are already open close if they can't put these mitigation efforts in place. For NPR News, I'm Sam Whitehead in Atlanta.
1: Americans as a whole are earning about the same wages they were prior to the start of the coronavirus pandemic, even with some 9 million fewer people in the workforce shows to some extent the economic inequities that have been exacerbated by the pandemic. That's because most of those who've lost their jobs due to the coronavirus pandemic were lower-wage workers from restaurants and hotels to retail stores and entertainment venues. On Wall Street today, the Dow was up 27 points. The Nasdaq rose 69 points. You're listening to NPR. The World Health Organization says a third case of Ebola has been detected in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. NPR's Jason Bobian reports the new cluster of cases in the same region, which had a major outbreak that ended in June of last year.
3: The big question for health officials is whether these new cases are directly related to last year's outbreak in the same area, or whether this is an entirely new event. The World Health Organization's head of emergencies, Mike Ryan, says the WHO is shipping vaccines, treatments, and other equipment to assist with the situation.
1: We've also transferred
4: uh, satellite communications equipment into the area and Thorea satellites uh, equipment generators and other material that will help support the response. The Democratic Republic of
3: Congo has had more recorded Ebola outbreaks than any other country in the world. Jason Beaubien,
1: NPR News. The Minnesota Court of Appeals is dismissing a prosecutor's request to delay the trial of a former Minneapolis police officer charged in the death of George Floyd. Derek Chauvin is scheduled to go on trial in murder and manslaughter charges in March. The state argued delaying Chauvin's trial would be in the best interest of public health due to COVID-19 concerns. The appeals court also dismissed the state's request to hold a joint trial for Chauvin and the other three former officers who face charges. The appeals court saying prosecutors did not show that holding Chauvin's trial March 8th would have a critical impact on the outcome of the case. Critical futures prices managed to eke out another weekly gain following stocks higher today. That's amid some signs global supply is tightening. Oil rose $1.23 a barrel, settled at $59.47 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News.
3: This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Students, parents, and teachers are waiting to see whether some California children will make it back to the classroom this year. Governor Gavin Newsom is currently negotiating with legislators over a deal that could be reached as early as today. KQD's Katie Orr reports.
1: Newsom and state lawmakers are working on a $6.6 billion deal to start reopening schools shuttered by COVID. The plan could send students back this year, starting with the youngest, perhaps up through elementary school. Teachers unions have been lobbying for their members to receive vaccines before returning to the classroom. The phased-in reopenings could make that easier, though limited vaccine supply continues to be an issue. Tensions over school closures have hit a boiling point in recent weeks, with the city of San Francisco suing its own school district in an attempt to compel it to reopen faster. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
3: Meanwhile in Los Angeles, civic leaders have sent a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom and the L.A. Board of Supervisors demanding that school staff get COVID vaccines so schools can reopen but it could be another two to three weeks before teachers start getting a shot. In LA, KCRW's Kaylee Wells has more.
0: Newsom wants to open schools this academic year. Teachers say it's not safe until they're vaccinated. The coalition's answer, vaccinate the teachers as soon as possible. About 60 community leaders and elected officials in LA County wrote the letter and LAUSD Superintendent Austin Butner points to it as more evidence all school staff should get priority. But Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer says L.A. County alone has 668,000 employees who work in education. They'll get in line with residents 65 and older who haven't been vaccinated yet. And right now we're only getting about 200,000 doses per week. So Ferrer says even once L.A. teachers are eligible, it'll take months to get them fully vaccinated. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Los Angeles.
3: Meanwhile, in San Diego County, the president of the Board of Supervisors says teachers could start getting vaccinated there within the next week or two. Let's turn to power. A lot of you listening probably remember and experienced last year's energy blackouts in California. To make sure that doesn't happen again this year when temperatures rise, the California Public Utilities Commission is directing the state's three big private power companies to find new sources of electricity by this summer. The decision came in a unanimous CPUC vote and affects San Diego Gas and Electric, SoCal Edison and Pacific Gas and Electric. The expense of finding new energy sources would be passed on to customers. Environmental and consumer groups concerned about fossil fuel use oppose the CPU's decision, saying there's actually enough energy in the grid to handle a spike in summer demand through better power management. And in politics, although he lost the election and is in the midst of a post-presidential impeachment trial, Donald Trump maintains his grip on the GOP. Unhappy with that, a group of Republicans and former party officials are discussing the possibility of forming a new center-right party. KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer spoke with one California legislator who's participated in that discussion.
2: A week ago, more than 100 Republicans and former party members across the country held a conference call to discuss ways of distancing themselves from Donald Trump and his influence on the GOP. California Assemblyman Chad Mays was there. It's
1: about just fundamental values, fundamental truths. Enough with the lies, enough with the conspiracies, enough defending your own uh, when it's ultimately harming uh, this country. And that's what this group is all about.
2: Mays, who represents parts of Riverside and San Bernardino counties, was first elected as a Republican, even rising to become the party's minority leader in the state assembly. But in 2017, Mays was stripped of his position, punishment, for cooperating with Democrats on a climate change bill. Not long after that, Mays left the GOP, and in November, he was re-elected as an independent. He says as it currently stands, the Republican Party is irredeemable.
1: So for those of us, uh, and not just Republicans, because I talk to a lot of moderate Democrats as well as independents, and they feel like they've got no home. Uh, The Republican Party has lost its mind, uh, and there is no organized center.
2: Of course, there are enormous obstacles to creating a new party that could be competitive on a statewide level, much less nationally. But May says the status quo is unacceptable to him and many others. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
3: And now for a preview of our sister show, The California Reports Weekly Magazine. This week, as part of our ongoing celebration of The California Report's 25th birthday, they're digging into the archives to bring us some favorite musical stories, from punk that skewers California politicians, to psychedelic cumbia from the Coachella Valley, and just in time for Fat Tuesday, a tribute to the Bay Area Zydeco scene. That's on this week's California Report
2: magazine. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, offering professional grade financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary, personalcapital.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone, everywhere. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And that's the California Report for Friday, February
3: 12th, a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin, Holly J. McDeed, Alice Wolfley, and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. If you want more news from around the state, check out our daily podcast. It includes stories from both of our newscasts. And before we go, the California Report crew wants to say a goodbye to our our KQED colleague, Michael Krasny, who retires today. Michael is the host of the Bay Area News and Public Affairs Program Forum. And in that role, he's been a trusted broadcast companion to a generation of listeners who have come to rely on Michael's talent, intellect, and curiosity to better understand the issues of our time. We thank Michael for making the airwaves a better place, and we wish him the very best. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend.
0: This week, Nevada County will open the doors of a new COVID-19 vaccine clinic in the Whispering Pines Business Park in Grass Valley. Nevada County is currently focusing on vaccination of people over 65, and vaccinations at the new clinic are by appointment only. As more doses of the vaccine become available, the community will also begin to see more appointments open up. Having a local vaccine clinic will allow the county to scale its vaccination efforts as supply allows. Space for the clinic is being provided by Dignity Health's Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital with support from the Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital Foundation. The clinic will feature a comfortable waiting area where patients will spend 15 minutes under observation after getting their jabs. Public health staff will manage the clinic and provide nurses to administer vaccinations. Appointments at the new clinic will be announced via myturn.ca.gov, a statewide system for COVID-19 vaccine access. California residents may sign up at the website or by calling 1-833-422-4255. And taking a look at regional weather, for Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight showers after 10 p.m., with a low around 40 degrees. Tomorrow, showers, mainly before 10 a.m., with a high near 48. In the Truckee Lake Tahoe region, a winter weather advisory is in effect until 10 a.m. tomorrow. Tonight, snow likely, mainly after 1 a.m., with a low around 28. Some snow is possible on Saturday, mainly before 10 a.m. The high will be around 36, dipping to 16 degrees on Saturday night. And for Sacramento, tonight, cloudy with occasional showers and a low of 49. Tomorrow should be mostly sunny with a high of 65. Next. Felton Pruitt speaks with James McMurtry.
4: This is the KVMR Evening News. We're talking with James McMurtry. Next up, we're going to find out what it's like to be a musician during the pandemic. Are you doing a live stream once a week?
5: Twice a week. I do eight eight, 8 p.m. on 8, eight p.m. Central Time on uh, Wednesdays, and then I do one p.m. Central on Sundays uh, to get the Europeans because you know. One o'clock central, the Europeans are still awake and the Californians are just finishing breakfast, so you have to think globally when you're streaming.
4: Have you found that to be a successful revenue stream as far as replacing touring, sort of a little bit?
5: Well, it it pays the immediate household bills and, uh, you know, there's no overhead. The thing about, you know, band touring is that, you know, the the margins are very slim. Uh, So. Uh, you'd have to ask my accountant if I'm doing better or worse. But, uh, they have, they're not going to turn the lights off. it doesn't look like. And it is weird playing for tips. I'm used to having a middleman that sets a price. and it's a symbiotic relationship between us and the club owners. you know they're they're selling drinks, we're selling tickets, we're selling CDs. It's a business venture. You know now it's sort of like you know sitting on a virtual sidewalk with your virtual guitar case open which historically, you know, that's pretty much how musicians have gotten by throughout the ages. We've only recently had this little window where we're sort of look more like a legitimate business. Um, but um, but the tips, you know, you, you can do ticketed shows online. A lot of people do. I don't for two reasons. There's a lot of people that can't even afford a $10 ticket right now, and they need some music too. And then there's those that can tip you $100. So, you know... It evens out. You know, I've got a good bunch of regulars that, you know, they show up pretty much every week, and they're, they're as generous as they can be.
4: Are you chomping at the bit to get back out on the road, though? I mean, you've been doing that your whole life. I would imagine that's something that's missing in your life right now.
5: No, it's really not. Okay. <laughs> I, don't really, I don't look forward to having to go back to real work. But um, I mean, I'm going to do it because that's what we do. Yeah, I thought I would have missed the the touring more than I do, but I think part of it was, um, I mean, even vans ride better than they did in the 80s, but they still kind of beat you up because you're rattling down the highway all day and your spine kind of compresses, and it's not pain, but there's this constant ache in your bones, and when you quit doing that for a month or two, your body finally realizes, hey, I don't hurt.
4: <laughs> have you noticed your hearing that, coming back a little bit?
5: My hearing, no, nah, I still can't hear with
4: the damn. Okay. So it's just That's... different for people in the clubs. I've noticed just around where we live that not being in the clubs for the last year, that my tinnitus level has gone down just a little bit. I can actually hear the birds a little more.
5: Mine hasn't. My left ear, the ringing in my left ear still drowns out my right pretty much. For years we were a trio, and I set up a little bit stage right, and the snare drum was banging in my left ear. So the, left, the ring in the left ear is louder. And eventually we we moved towards a four-piece, so I got back center stage. So now I catch it in both ears.
4: Well, I wonder if this pandemic uh, is going to truly change the way live music happens. I mean, less people might be going out, and they might be finding different ways to approach it.
5: Well, I, I, That's one thing. I don't think the streaming thing is going to go away. I don't intend to stop. I mean, if we get back on the road... I'm going to try to, you know, if we have, if we have a day off, I will try, try to stream out of a hotel room if I can just to see what happens because and we really need to raise this to an art form uh, for several reasons. One, this is probably not the last pandemic, yeah. you know, and people, you know, people, find one thing, you know, you go to a show online, you don't have to worry about parking, you're not having to tip the parking valet, you don't have to fight the traffic. You're not spending a hundred dollars on dinner. Actually, I kind of missed that. <laughs> I miss going to shows, but uh, you know we can make the online thing better. And some people are. Some people, you know, Betty Sue is really paying attention. She's, you know, we're we're trying to iron out the technical bugs, which I can't figure out because I'm a, you know, tech luddite basically. And well, just yesterday I tried to do my first multi-format stream and I was having audio sync issues, and it seemed like it varied between the various formats, where, like, Facebook was really out of sync, and YouTube was kind of out of sync, and what I heard was Twitch was the best so far. So, I mean, there are processing elements within the various formats that I have no control over, and I'm going to bear down and talk to as many young people as I can and iron out what I can on my end, but I don't know if that, you know... Some of those glitches are just going to happen for a while.
4: Well, you need to do what I do. I ask my son, and he fixes it for me. So,
5: I've, I've gotten a lot of help from from venue techs because you know, as soon as the lockdown happened, some of the, some of the venues like Fitzgeralds in Chicago and the Parlor Room in Massachusetts started doing you know live streams, remote live stream, and they they all have a tech guy that knows their stuff. Uh, each one of them has a trick or two. I might not have heard from the other guys, so that's the thing. Talk to young people.
4: Well, we've been talking with James McMurtry. He's part of the star-studded concert to help feed New Mexicans facing hunger. It was put together by Terry Allen. It's happening this Saturday, February 13th. You go to foodforlove.org, and you can find out all about it. Hey, James, whether you want to get back out on the road or not, I can't wait to see you in concert again.
5: No, for right now, I'm, I'm mostly... Hanging out in the backyard watching the cats glare at the dogs.
4: (laughs) Well, enjoy that, and uh, we'll enjoy your song that you're putting onto this show on Saturday night. So uh, thank you for your time, James. It's always fun. Thank you,
6: Phil. Next up, a commentary by Chaplain Norris Burks. Good evening. I'm Norris Burks, and I'm a hospice chaplain here in Nevada County. Recently, I was privileged to be among the first few in our county to receive a COVID vaccine, or the victory vax, as I like to call it. The shot in the arm seemed to embolden me, though, to go out and search for a long-needed haircut. Apparently, according to my wife, the peach fuzz around my collar was beginning to bear fruit. About an hour later, I was sitting in the chair at a discount barbershop. You know, one of those places where you tell them that you want a number two on the side and a number four on the top. I've been retired from the Air Force about five years, but I still like the old military haircut with a half-inch top. Now, I'm not a big talker in the barber chair, but my 20-something stylist soon had us talking about the vaccines in muffled tones from underneath our masks. Are you going to get a vaccine, I asked her. No, she answered, as if broadcasting to her manager who was pacing outside on a smoke break. I don't trust vaccines, she added. I've even heard that some nurses are refusing them. Maybe that's because they know how to wear a mask, I mumbled. What? she asked, shouting over her razor. "Uh, Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too, I said. And I glanced at her arms. I couldn't help but notice. She had an arm full of tattoos. She obviously had no fear of needles. So I asked her to say more. I have a great immune system, she bragged. I never get sick. Funny, I didn't notice she had a Superman tattoo. Uh, I just do what's required, she said. I wear a mask and I do the distance, but no shots. Like some in my foothill community, she was no vax to the max. At such a young age, she had built up her personal knowledge base and had no room for more. Her thoughts reminded me of a heresy that troubled the early church called Gnosticism. Gnostics distrusted the world. They believed that all earthly authority was corrupt. They believed that their salvation came only through the acquisition of secret understanding. Subversive in nature, Gnostics whispered a clandestine truth by which only a small group of elite knowers had the ability to see through the so-called shams. Sadly, this group was very self-satisfied in their belief that their opponents would be banished to a clueless hell. I'm sure you recognize this sort of exclusive thinking amongst some of today's intolerant churches. But have you noticed that thinking isn't limited to churches? Anti-vaxxers, like most conspiracy theorists, share the same quasi-religious sensibility as did Gnostics. In this secular age, they use their secrets and their exclusive discoveries as a substitute for faith. The world is full of these secret keepers of health and philosophy. They'll gladly share their secrets if only you'll buy their merchandise or books. They'll only share their remaining secrets when you bring your family into their pyramid scheme. So what could I say to my barber? Should I tell her that in service to my country I'd taken every vaccine the military required of me? Should I mention that I'd restrained my small children even while they took the same shots to join me overseas? should i tell her that my brother had just expelled his last breath expressing his dying faith in this bat soup science no instead i call myself long enough to share the moldy old joke about the woman who sat on a rooftop as the floodwaters rose around her praying for rescue she noticed a man pull up in a small motorboat and offer to rescue her. No, thank you, she replied. I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. Not long after that, a woman repelled from a helicopter, offering to save her. She replied, No, thank you. I'm waiting on the Lord to save me. Eventually, the floodwaters rose above her home, and she drowned. While standing at the pearly gates, she asked, Oh, Lord, why didn't you save me? The Lord replied, I sent you a boat? I sent you a helicopter? What else did you want? The barber gave my joke a stuttered laugh. It told me, though, that she understood my meaning. I was trying to tell her that properly worn, the CDC-approved mask could be our rescue boat. Properly tested, the vaccine can be our helicopter. My word of advice to you, take the victory, Vax. Despite the current shortage, My barber made me aware that there'll be at least one extra dose out there. This is Chaplain Norris Burks. Read more of my commentary at my website, thechaplain.net. Thanks for listening.
0: That's our newscast for this evening. KVMR News airs Monday through Friday at 6 p.m., if you'd like to hear any of our newscasts again, you can do so on our website, kvmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. KQED's California Report Magazine is next, followed by Democracy Now at 7 p.m. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Have a safe weekend.
4: Bye-bye. Uh-huh.